Welcome to Sex and Happiness with Lori Handlers. Amazing sex and intimacy are just around the corner. While Lori puts the finishing touches on her new book, Sex and Happiness Over 60, please enjoy this show. It's one of her favorites from the Sex and Happiness Archives. One of my most exciting topics will be covered today, and I haven't known how to talk about this, and you may not either, so that's why this topic is enlightening. We're going to be talking about Asperger's syndrome, which is a neurological something that happens in the brain. Of course, we're going to hear more about what the something is that happens in the brain and causes people to have a different syncopation with things that happen in life. It's hard for people with Asperger's to connect. They always seem a little bit out of sync with what's happening. If a joke is told, they may laugh after the joke. When it's time to, to take part in a conversation, it's sometimes difficult for people with Asperger's to know exactly what to say, and so they feel isolated and sometimes very stuck. And they may not know what it is. And and for years, people may have thought this is some kind of a psychological thing, but it turns out it's a neurological thing, and we're going to really hear about it. Why I'm so excited about it is not only that I've known about Asperger's syndrome as a result of being a Tantra teacher, but I've seen how Tantra has affected various people around me who I consider to have Asperger's syndrome, whether they know it or not. My guest today knows something about it. He struggled with Asperger's and didn't know it. It was undiagnosed. He recently told me that about it, that he had it, and I said, oh, finally I can have a conversation with someone so they can really let us know what it's about and how Tantra has affected him and this, and this syndrome. So I'm excited. It's a very hot topic, and it's something that affects more people than we know, and Tantra may have a tremendous effect towards it. So that's what we're talking about today. My guest is Shivananda Deva. He is an ITT project manager, he's an acting teacher, and he's also a leader of transformational seminars. In addition, he's a photographer, and he's also a musician, and he and I have known each other for years and years. So welcome to the show. Thank you for being with me today, talking about this great topic. Oh, my pleasure. It's so good to talk to you again. So I want to, first of all, since I've mentioned Asperger's syndrome, and we've talked about it a little bit. Can you shed some light on what the, exactly this is and what, just exactly when you were diagnosed? Well, I personally have, was just diagnosed very recently. It's something that has really only come to the public attention in the last 15 years or so. It first really came to my attention just over a year ago. And... At, in a very unusual circumstance. I was at my mother's funeral, and the pastor who was giving the funeral address mentioned that my mother was someone who had Asperger's syndrome. And after the service, I went to my brothers and said, what's this all about? Uh, tell me more. And they said, yes, she'd actually been diagnosed about nine years previously by a national expert, and that uh, that was so. And I didn't think a lot about it 
Yeah, I did a little reading, um, but it, it certainly explained some things about my mother's behavior. My mother and I always had a challenging relationship. She was very distant. Uh, she was was not easy for her to express anything to me except criticism. So that sort of uh, was the character of our relationship. And she was also, the world would say she was eccentric because she lived in a beautiful house, but it was always filled with clutter. Stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of stuff. And she was a food hoarder. Well, and, well, I got to say something to you, though, here, because a lot of people would say that their parents were exactly like that. Their parents only had negative things to say about them. And lots of people I know, parents are hoarders. Actually, I even know have friends who they buried their mother with a whole bunch of stuff because they didn't know what to do with it. So they put it in the closet. <laughs> in my mother's case, that would have had to have been, you know, about 27 boxes of yellow cake mix. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but, so that was just, that was chapter one. Actually, one of my brothers sent me a book about it, and um, characteristically, I proceeded to lose the book, and you know, haven't found it since. So I haven't read that book that he sent me. But then the second <laughs> thing came. So, so, so I have my my own piles. But, um, you know, it gave me a little little something to think about, but what really drove it home was, uh, literally just a couple of months ago, I found out that my grandson had been diagnosed with Asperger's Syndrome, clinically diagnosed. Um, you know, and he's a young teenager and, you know, was diagnosed um, as a result of having some difficulties in school. Tell me what the characteristics are. I mean, like you told, you said your mother was on the negative side. I don't really experience you on the negative side. Uh, so what would you say the characteristics were for you? And what are some yeah. that may overlap with your grandson? Okay. Well, I think that, I think that the fact that they're moving to this idea of, of a spectrum disorder is part of it because it can manifest in many different ways in different people. And how it manifested for me was that I had very high intelligence. Right. I had a lot of, lot of obvious talents in a lot of areas. I was a very precocious verbally, uh, skipped a grade when I was in grammar school, but I was always kind of an outsider socially. I wasn't able to connect well. Uh, other kids didn't like to play with me. And I actually exhibited one of the textbook case examples of one of the ways this can manifest. Because in the third grade, I would blurt out in class and interrupt my teacher and correct something that she had just said. You know, I, I would. In third grade, you did this? My, yeah, yeah. And I would, it, it's, it's something that is known within, within the, this, this area is the little professor syndrome, where I would, I would literally say, no, 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 not, you know, not Istanbul, it was Constantinople. And then the other <laughs> kids would all laugh. 
the teacher would be would be embarrassed. And right. To check, they'd find out that I was right. Yeah, of course um, you were. Yeah, so I had a I had a precocious um, talent for remembering all kinds of trivia, and I read voraciously, so I knew a lot of stuff. Now I, I want to ask friends. you something. This is how it, this is how it occurs to me. So I want to try and because I do know other people with Asperger's, and they don't they they might or might not have been diagnosed. But I this this is how they're occurring for me, like dealing with people who. I feel have what I understand to be Asperger's. And so I try to imagine what it's like for me. I don't know if as a kid you ever had an, a sister or an occasion to have, play jump rope, like to jump in when somebody was spinning and already jumping. Is that something that you ever did? did you, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I do, and I remember watching my girls do that. And I, I can't recall okay. whether I did that or not, but it always looked See, like for, something I wouldn't be able to do. You're always looking for the end, like when you're playing double, when you're jumping double, yeah. two people are sw- two people are turning the rope, and you're trying to jump in. And um, mm-hmm. I imagine it's hard sometimes for someone to catch that beat and jump in. And that's what yeah. I liken to Asperger's. To some people mm-hmm. that I know, they just have the timing is so off. Like they might make a remark that either is a non sequitur; it doesn't have anything to do with what's just happening, or they make a remark, but the remark comes so much later, or the laughter of the joke comes so much later that they miss the beat to jump in to the turning jump to the turning jump rope. Am I, I is, am I get, is that clear? Does that feel yeah, like what it's yeah, like? Yeah, and 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 yes, and that that kind of social ineptness uh, is is one of the common hallmarks of people with Asperger's and you know there there are people who've been very successful with Asperger's I mean Bill Gates is known to be Aspergian and say that again what's the word Aspergian Aspergian I don't know if that's a real word but it should should be Uh, yeah it's great and and Um, he was he he was notably you know, a very, very awkward and inept socially when he was younger. And the the problem is that there is it this is a this is a genetic disorder. It is a neurological slight I'm not gonna say miswiring, let's just say different wiring. Different wiring, yeah, different. It's different wiring and it, it lends itself to certain kinds of abilities that not everybody has, but it, but in social circumstances, it means that you're literally a little off the beat. And sometimes it can be even, you know, not just a matter of somebody tells a joke, you get it 30 seconds later. It could be literally somebody tells something terrible that just happened, some tragedy, some calamity. And you respond by laughing. I see. Why? I see what you mean. Without knowing their internal dialogue, you wouldn't know that what they were reacting to was a very rapid fire. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I'm glad it didn't happen to me. Oh, I'm safe. I'm okay. And the response to that is to laugh. 
You know, I want to tell you something. I was teaching a class, oh, I don't know, in the 90s sometime, late 90s, maybe 2000, and I was teaching a leadership course. And I told everybody when they were going on break, you know, we were going to have like a 10-minute break. And I said on the break, I... I don't want you. Oh, I didn't want anybody to eat on this break. Like I didn't want this to be like a snack break. And I said, oh, we're going to have a 10 minutes break. Please go to the bathroom. If you need to go to the bathroom and drink water and come back, please don't eat anything. No eating anything. And a person raised their hand and said, will we be punished? And I said, what? And this person said, will we be punished? Yeah. And I yeah. said, no, you, you no. <laughs> <There's> no <punishment. laughs> and I was so taken aback. And that was my first experience with somebody in, in what we're talking about right now, who I consider to have Asperger's. My first experience of somebody like giving me a response that was so literal and so over the top, which is just what you just said. Oh, thank goodness I, that didn't happen to me. Thank goodness I'm still alive. I'm happy. Ha ha ha. You know, will we be punished? I said, no, my course isn't about punishment. I'm just like, (laughs) it's very scary, freaky for me. And then I learned, see, I thought it was psychology. My thing was I looked at everything through a psychology paradigm. And then I met somebody in Philadelphia, a woman named Tina Caterino, who's a tremendous expert on neurology. And she explained all this neurological stuff to me. And all these people in my life, so many people, started to make more sense to me than I had ever imagined before, ever. And and then I come to find out about you, you know. And thank you, by the way, because <laughs> you're the first person that's ever discussed this with me openly. Yeah, and 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 we just got into it recently, and we've known each other a long time. But right. but when you think about it, it you I mean just when we were chatting before the show, it kind of explains a couple of unusual experiences that we had together. It does. It, it really, really does. It's it's uh, and, and, and here's here's the thing. I would say that the general public shares shares your your initial view that this was psychological, that this was a personality disorder maybe that this was in 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 worse much of the world really treats it like like you're just uh you're just a goof off you're you you could manage your life differently if you just had the willpower to stop you know being such a you know such a wimp about or stop the cutting up everybody or, takes. or something yeah Whereas, I mean, here's an interesting thing. One of the foremost experts on autism and Asperger's syndrome and author of The Unwritten Rules of Social Relationship is Dr. Temple Grandin. And she's autistic herself. She's a Ph.D. She's internationally known as a cow whisperer. She really understands cow psychology. And... One of the things that she says about any of the autism-related syndromes is that the reason that autistic people 
seem to get better over life is because they learn. And the challenge with Asperger's, what I, to me, the central challenge is that I don't have the same wiring to understand social interactions than most people do. And so I misinterpret things. Sometimes I overread. You know, I'll have... Well, uh, you, you talked about that in a love affair. You talked to me about that in a, in a love affair that you had for a long time, that you misread the symbols. You misread the signals, sorry. And, uh, yeah. and, and you made things mean different things than what was actually being presented to you, no? Exactly, exactly. And, and frankly, when it was all over, people were like, well, what did you expect? You know, <laughs> the handwriting was on the wall and it was like, it, it was? I didn't see it. <laughs> right. And yeah, I, but I literally didn't. Yeah, everyone saw it. Everybody saw it. But, you know, everybody, you but nobody, <laughs> nobody made you wrong for that, though. You know, yeah. sometimes people make somebody wrong. You know why no one made you wrong? I, I got, I just put it together. You were in this relationship for a few years. And, um, sometimes people, when they see a friend or a loved one suffering in a relationship after a while, after the handwriting's been on the wall, their friends and relatives start to make them wrong. Like, get out already. Nobody made you wrong, Shivananda, because you didn't complain. You just didn't get it that it was so off. Yeah, I didn't get it. You just didn't get it. So nobody made you wrong. They just figured, okay, you were going along for the ride. Maybe you were a sucker or maybe whatever. You, you know, there were obviously some payoffs for you, but the mm -hmm. payoffs... But you gave a lot more than you got. Yeah, and I and I would even say, I, l l let's take a a simple example, not that one. Um, I was introduced to a lovely woman. Uh, we spent a few months getting to know each other. We went out to dinner. So our first time out to dinner, and we had been in various party and social situations. We chatted with each other. We went out to dinner. The dinner went so wonderfully well that I was practically, you know, ready to propose marriage, you know, by two o'clock in the morning. I am. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was just like, man, I had a whole, whole future written for this relationship the first time we'd ever just been out, you know, one-to-one. -one. Right. And it really threw her. It threw her to the extent, I mean, because she had no way of processing that. She was like, you know, I just, in her world, I just showed up kind of like a fruitcake. And it, it just pushed her away. Now, later we, you know, we worked that out. We became friends. But it, it certainly ended any chances of, you know, any kind of romantic relationship. Because yes, she was worried. Timing really is an important part of human interaction. And I could see how this neurological synapse that's different could throw your timing so off that something that could actually have become very serious just based on timing, like off timing, reading the signals differently, could cost the whole thing in, in, a, in a romance. 
and, and, and change yeah. it into something else. That's just so, yeah. listen, there's a famous, there's a character, there's a, there's a television character or two with Asperger's on one of my old favorite shows. Used to be on Boston Legal. There's a, there was a character, one of the attorneys named Jerry. And he used to, his, you know, he, they, they built him to be somebody brilliant in the show and somebody who just, uh, he would yell things out in the court. Yeah. And he would also hold his hands funny when he walked and his tie would be funny, but he wasn't a bad looking guy. And he actually had a relationship on the show. He had a relationship with someone on the show who I don't know what her role was, but she, she had intimacy with her clock and they, and they understood that between each other and they didn't, you know, it wasn't, they didn't, they didn't make it too weird. You know, like they actually gave it, they gave him importance on the show. So and I think it, well, that show gave importance to a lot of things that were, that were probably issues that people needed to look at. And, uh, and that was one of it. And I, it was, that came to me just as soon as I heard about Asperger's, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, there's a person on the show with that and there's an actor acting that out and I thought it was so great to bring to people's awareness um yeah it's amazing I think uh people around me by the way just in terms of my own life many many people around me people specifically who have come to me from tantra like they've been my students at one time and then they end up going through my leadership course called leadership integrity and service to be on my staff have congregated about me, people who really assist my courses, who think really outside the box, brilliant, brilliant people who don't communicate that well. They either communicate too fast and are too smart for other people and, and are very inappropriate in the things that they yell out or the things they they raise their hand with in the class or people who just really provide an amazing service for for my participants in my classes, when I look at them, when I look back, I've got to say there have been five to seven people around me for a long time that are on this spectrum that you're talking about. And how I know it is because this woman I told you, I just mentioned to you before, my friend who at the time was living in Philadelphia, now she's in upstate New York, Tina Caterino, she's so astute about this. She came to my bliss course and my ecstasy course and she looked around her and she said, oh my goodness, Everybody assisting this course has Asperger's. <laughs> and they do so well with Laurie. She has so much room for that. I really, I just, I always figured they were just a little bit different. And they did such, they just did such great work. They made such huge contributions. Their service was so clear. Their brilliance is so clear to me. Yeah, but some, you're also, you're, you're, your perspective in life is is not the average, and and a lot of the problems that people with Aspergers have in everyday life, and going to work, and having a relationship, and doing what everybody has to do in life, is that most people are not that understanding, and most people are put off by anything that's you know off center enough that they don't understand it. They don't understand why you're saying something inappropriate uh, to them. Uh, they don't understand why, when it's clear the conversation is going in one direction, that you ask a question that's 
doesn't seem to have any relationship to anything, you know, or whatnot. And so I really have to say, I, I struggled through, you know, most of my adult life in trying to fit in to, you know, the, the normal American business culture and yes. always being kind of the odd man out, kind of the odd duck, you know, even despite the fact that I'm, you know, I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have fangs, I don't have, you know, any, any <laughs> obvious, <laughs> you know, but. You're a wonderful and, man, and, get out of here, you're attractive, you're vibrant, you're vital, and you're a wonderful <laughs> man, you don't have fangs. And yeah, you, there are times you seem a little competitive, there are times that you do seem a little competitive, like you know more than whoever it is speaking, sometimes that was me. And um, yeah. and then there's this other thing, this skip a beat, which I didn't even, I had no idea about. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to discover and it makes sense. I'm so glad you found out. So Shivananda, tell us, I know that you've done transformational work and I know that, uh, I know that this helped you and perhaps this would help other people who may be hearing this program. So how did you start with transformation? Where, where did, where did you go and what drove you to it and what did you get? Well, I would say it, it started, I, my whole life I've tried to understand what it was that was the secret that everybody else got told, you know, at the party that I wasn't invited to. Um, so, I always felt like if I could find out that secret, then I could be an insider too. So, you know, from a young age, I was interested in all kinds of self-help books and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, as anybody who's gotten into the self-help genre at all, um, you know, I think that you would have to agree. After a while, you start realizing that it's not really getting at the root. It's sort of like I heard somebody say once, it's like painting over rust. It just doesn't, <laughs> you know, it just, it just doesn't get to what the issue is. It kind of, you know, kind of spiffies everything up and you got a smile on your face for a while, but it, it just doesn't get at what's the core. Right. It doesn't, um, right. It doesn't fix things. It doesn't make you more comfortable. You just, it's like another, it's like a, another facade. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't, doesn't reach deep enough. And then, and then, yeah, and then, um, in the, in the late eighties, I, I had the very, very good fortune of having a member of my family, uh, do the forum. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time and, um, he did the forum. I actually, he had my, mother do the forum and uh then i was and i was the last person in the family that he talked to about it but uh, i just want to let people know that you're talking about the landmark forum that is mm -hmm. uh, offered by landmark education and you and i have that in common and we both have being in staff on La at landmark on common as well so in the late 80s right. you did the forum yeah and and that was a very important step for me because it really got me present that was that was where i really was able to take a step out of living in my own head all the time 
and just be present to life. So that was an important step. And to other people, life and to other people. I mean, the Landmark Forum lets you know how out of touch you are with other people and the story that you live in. And I don't mean you, we, the story that we made up and we act out of it and it becomes our story and we make it the truth and we relate to the whole world out of the story instead of being present to what's actually happening. So that's great. It's really great that you did. So it was the late 80s when you did it in L.A. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then you know, I worked worked with it in L.A. Then I, in uh, mid, mid-90s, I moved to Seattle, and I continued with that work in Seattle. And, uh, you know, and it was great. And I, you know, I'm still, I'm still great friends with people from all the way back then, and I'm still... Um, you know, participate uh, to a certain degree with with that work even today. And I'm just matter of fact, just in, enrolled a good friend in in the forum because I could really see it was something that would contribute to his life. And I want to just I want to also say that uh, so people just so people know the Landmark Forum is a training program. It's an experiential training program that's three days and an evening, and it really makes a difference in a person's life. It's a short program that can switch people's whole world around, their whole way of seeing things around. My whole family's done it. Most of my friends have done it. Most of the people who ever staff my programs that I offer have done it. Most of the people who go through my Tantra programs have done it, (laughs) including you. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that's initially how we connected, you and I. That's how we connected. Yes, 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 even before Tantra. Yes. So, So... Here's so here's the thing about that. I, I I have an enormous appreciation for that work. I'm an enormous fan of that work. And I would say that there were there were some areas of my life that it didn't touch or didn't probably more accurate to say didn't touch to the degree that I wanted them to. And yeah, what I would say is? that and I would say that that would be specifically around spirituality, mm. around sex, and around love. Right. It, you know, that work has it certainly has a remarkable, a remarkable, uh, you know, effect on one's relationships and so on. But it, it just in terms of my own experience, there was something there was something missing, and I just couldn't couldn't get my hands on it. And I just I happened to. See that uh, you know the famous tantric author and, and teacher Margot Anand was was uh, teaching a weekend class in Seattle, and I had just broken up uh, a relationship of several years, or rather, she had just broken it up. And yeah. I was really in the I was really in the inquiry of what was missing for me as a man to be able to hold a relationship with a woman that I loved. I was, you know, that was a woman that I loved and I had every intention of marrying her and being with her. And uh, it It's a good happen. inquiry. So, it's a really good and straight and honest inquiry. What would be up for you that would be able to hold the relationship and Landmark didn't give you the answer? Yeah, yeah. It didn't give me the answer. It might have given somebody else the answer, but it didn't give me the right. answer. And this began to turn up 
a corner on on that. And so I really was able to see that there was something up for up for me in that. And so shortly after that I moved to the East Coast. Um and I well, was wait a second. In, in terms of your languaging, when you said something was up for you in that, can you? What does that mean? Can you translate that? What was up well, for you? What did you see? Well, one of the things that I saw was that I had this outsider conversation with the women that I was in relationship with. In other words, I could be with a woman who was saying. She loved me, and in my heart of hearts, I knew that I just had her fooled, and that if okay. she ever figured out who I really was, she'd be out of there in a minute. So what does that point to? That points to self-love. I did not love myself. And you if felt isolated I, even when you were included. Yeah, and because I, I didn't understand it. I didn't know how I was supposed to behave. You know, I was always, always on tiptoes, you know, waiting to make the fatal mistake. Oh, my goodness. You know, you know but I, was, wanted to, I want to let you know something, that even people without Asperger's feel this way, too. This just seems like it's, yeah. a, it's more extended or more tenuous, but other people, you know, just a lot of people feel like that. They just don't sure. know if they're if they're in, even when they're in. They can't imagine. They think they're doing it with smoke and mirrors. Right. And you and in, in 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 the case of those with Asperger's, it's it's more that that's that's heightened because you fundamentally don't understand social interactions. So some right. some people some people are notable for being unable to read facial expressions or body language. They just don't get it. Um, I'm, I'm more in the middle on that one. But, you know, in terms of things that people would say and do and so on, it would just it would be just easy for me to misinterpret, uh, you know, what, what our relationship was. So, so, you know, so that first, First little weekend class that I did kind of cracked the shell a little bit, and yeah, then and then you know when I when I got to the to the East Coast, I you know I took a number of courses. I, I really looked around to see who was available and took a number of courses um, in a in a fairly short period of time, and each one of them kind of brought me. Open the shell a little more. Let me out of the the shell a little more. Um, you know, and then I met Lori Handlers of Butterfly Contra. <laughs> <laughs> and I took a hammer and to your shell. <laughs> you took a hammer to my shell. You sure did. You know, <laughs> we were we were we were both enjoying. Uh, the, the thought of that very first uh, course that I did with you, and you know, just God, how how far I've come since then. But so, so much. here's I'm what so I would say. Here, I'm here's so the proud way of you. I'm I so would. Excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm so here's, excited. Here's the here's what I would say about 
what happened in that journey and in the work that we did together was that I was finally able to connect with people in a very deep, profound way, and that my heart really opened, that I was finally able to express my love for people, my deep, deep love for people and my inner joy in a way that people could get it. So now we're connected very deeply because they're getting who I really am. I'm not that outer shell, that protective shell that would interact in certain ways because of some of my experiences in life. But they would really get down to the essential me and really be able to see how much I love them, how much I appreciate them. And I would be able to open my mouth and express that freely and openly in a way that would move people. Well, that's had a profound effect on my life. It's It really is a huge difference. It's a huge difference. I mean, even talking to you now, as as opposed to then, whenever then was, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, and and then some... uh, even speaking with you now, it's different. It's a very different, it's a different experience for me. And I imagine it's different for people who have known you. You, your heart cracked open in Tantra and you were able, you know, and then you said, I cracked you open. <laughs> your heart cracked open and <laughs> you, you smashed to- me open. <laughs> <laughs> and you were able, look, I remember because when I came to New York, there was a lot of people in a different kind of Tantra who wanted to just make nicey-nicey and they wanted to feel each other viscerally. They wanted to touch each other and just do loving touches. And I said, no, there's much deeper layers we have to go to. And people made fun of me. They said I was the drill sergeant of New York, of Tantra in New York. <laughs> you were probably one of them. So <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so I don't care. I mean, I like having that reputation because I know that I made people go deeper. Because if they didn't go deeper, they were going to be trying to have pleasure on top of a toxic waste dump called stored toxic cellular memories. And and people are trying to make love and have a great time, and they're not having such a great time. They're in pretense about it because there is so much going on in that sex area that has to do with memories of other things, memories of being rejected, memories of someone saying no. And you must have had a lot of them based on Asperger's that you didn't even know Absolutely. about. You you weren't getting to, to square one with people. So it's amazing. Exactly. Your heart sh- cracked open and you were able to express your deepest love and feeling for other people and be gotten, like be accepted, be received. This is amazing. Now, talk a little bit about, you told me this amazing experience, which I want you to share, about being in the 60s when people were, you know, into peace and love, and then you recently had an experience where it was totally different for you, not necessarily based on the times, but based on you. So what was that like? I love this. I love this. Well, I've been a photographer for my whole adult life. Ever since since my daughter was born, I wanted to take pictures of my little four-pound little preemie daughter. And... um. And I've been a professional 
photographer most of that time. In the you know in the sixties and seventies, I was thoroughly immersed in the hippie culture, and I mean I always worked. That was one difference that I had. So but, you were like a you were you like know? a by day you were a straight corporate worker, and by by weekends you were a hippie. Yeah, yeah. So, but I had long hair and a beard and wore beads and bell bottom, the whole thing. And I would go to the, I would go Me to the too. beans in the park. Yeah, jeez, <laughs> man. But you know, I would go to the park, uh, uh, you know, for for the beans, and I would walk around taking pictures because I just it's something I've always enjoyed doing, and I would get in the middle of all the peace and love and the herbal mist in the air, you know, I would get people uh, who suspected what I was up to and were hostile to her, towards me. And I got confronted a couple of times of people who accused me of being a narc. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> that was uh, the worst thing then you know, that you could say to anybody. <laughs> yeah, the worst, the worst. You know, talk about an attack on somebody's self-identity. <laughs> and uh, I even had to beat a hasty retreat on a couple of occasions just to avoid, you know, a really unpleasant situation. <clears throat> now, I live in Austin, Texas now, and I'm I'm one of the traditions in in Austin is what's called Eeyore's birthday, um, which is is it? How did could you spell that? Spell your yeah Eeyore like Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore E E Y O R E. Oh, I'm Eeyore. sorry, I'm not a Winnie the Pooh the person. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, this this has been who who knows? I I don't even know where this started, but this this year was the 47th annual holding of this party, which was a be in in the park, and you know an occasion to go be with thousands of people who are wearing tie-dyes and face paint and, you know, colorful uh, clothes and beating on drums and just enjoying And the some of them not the clothed. Some of them not clothed. Yeah, that's another tradition. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would say, I mean, it's a predominantly a fairly uh, young group, but it's it's a very... What's what's neat about it is that it's a non-ironic uh, remembrance of the hippie area, and people are really there, just really kind of celebrating that whole vibe. And I'm there, you know, just sort of dressed like a civilian, but I I did have a drum over my shoulder. <laughs> and I, I wasn't and a wearing camera. my yeah. And a camera, and I'm taking pictures, and I'm taking pictures every place that I go. And as the day wore on, it struck me how different my experience was taking pictures at this being, which was as close a reproduction as people could come up with today to, you know, the one that they started with 47 years ago. And... I really got it. At one point, I took a woman's picture, and she, I mean, she was smiling, she was beaming at me, and she came over and kissed me. And she stepped back, and she looked, just looked me straight in the eye and said, I love you, and kissed me again, you know, and then just, you know, walked on by, and I thought, well, that was remarkable. 
And then yeah. I got it. I, I I actually got what was going on because every other person that I'd taken the picture in their own way was was expressing the same thing. What was the difference? I was different. I was a completely different human being in that environment. When I was taking pictures, my appreciation for who they were went out before me. They really got my love and appreciation for who they were being. So mm. when I took their picture, it was like me kissing them. Yeah, you were and kissing them through the camera. It, and you yeah, were no and longer, just, you were no longer not included. You were no longer on the fringe. The, uh, well, I was, I was no the, longer the voyeur. You, know, you were no longer the voyeur. You were actually with them. Yeah. I called it the yeah. watcher. In the 60s, the I was the watcher. I was on the outside the looking in. And in this, but, but in, in this occasion, I was on the inside generating the very thing that they were there for, which was, you know, love and appreciation and, you know, just and to, joy. And to be seen, joy also being alive. to be seen. People want to be seen. They want to be yeah. seen as who they are. So it's amazing. Yeah. What a description. And, and um, yeah, it's 40-some-odd years later from when you were originally a hippie. I hate being so dated about that, but... I guess it's forty something. It's forty something it's, years later Laurie, for me. Laurie, I was a a, Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, Lori, it's okay. Getting older <laughs> is better than the alternative. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm physically immortal, so I'm not even. I'm not even debating that. I live in a community of people staying around forever. So, as yeah. I get older, I just get better and better and better. Uh, so I love this about this conversation with you. I love what happened for you. I'm so thankful that you came to Tantra. I'm so thankful that you noticed that there was a missing for you in intimacy, even after you did the great work of uh, Werner Earhart at Landmark Education. You 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 still have more to go, and hopefully you haven't stopped. I mean, there's always more to go. It's just great that Tantra was able to play such a nice part in having you open your heart, like crack your heart yeah, open. And it, and it's it, it's so great because the the things the things that you teach are things that are really very very valuable for solo practice for you know for for being able to keep yourself um, you know in tune and in in, in shape even even when you're cut off let's say from a community of of like-minded people, you, for whatever reason, you're traveling or you're in a strange part of the world or something. And yeah, that would of, be me. <laughs> kind, of, kind of, yeah, but kind of where I've been, I haven't been really part of a community for right. several years. But I've been able to carry on the things that support me, you know, the breathing and the, you know, the energy work that yeah. one can continue continue to do solo and you said it yourself i'm not the same person today that i was the last time we were together right beautiful well we're, we're winding down i just want to thank you again i want to thank you for being on the show and and being so overt about talking about asperger's i i 
I've waited for this moment. So I just want to let you know, it just happens to be you. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you could uh, shed light on it for people and let people know that there are things they can do uh, that are not medication. Mm-hmm. There are things that they can do that, that will open them up to be present and then have their heart be open and find ways to express that what's in their deepest heart. So Shivananda Deva, thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, it's my pleasure and thank you for coming into my life when you did and <laughs> smacking that <laughs> hammer on the eggshell. <laughs> if you want to find out more about Shivananda Deva, I would let you know that you should start to go to meetup groups in the Austin, Texas area. Facebook, you can find him, Shivananda Deva on Facebook. So please find him there. I want to let you know that you can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. Of course, you can get my book and my CD and my DVD and all those things. And I'd love to have you at the next screening, wherever it will be, of Tantric Tourists. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. And I can't wait to be back with you.